This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Welcome to the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. And for the regular listeners, you may notice that I am not Jordan speaking right now. My name is Devin Dang, and I'll actually be taking over the show for just today so we can do the deep dive on the one and only Jordan Moorhead. He has a real estate team, the Moorhead team here in Austin. He's a barbecue connoisseur. He's an experienced investor, which we will get all more into here in a second. But Jordan, how does it feel to be on the other side? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'm sure we're going to have a good time here today, Devin. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of burning questions that people have for you. And the most important that we got to get out of the way first before we get into any of the real estate is what is your favorite restaurant in Austin? So like you mentioned, I really like barbecue. I think my favorite barbecue restaurant in Austin if Franklin's, of course, if you can get it, but you can never get it. So I like Style Switch Barbecue on North Lamar. There's also one in Cedar Park, too. Nice. And you've figured out a pretty good hack. Like you can get Franklin's dough, and it's not too hard, is it? Yeah. So the hack for getting Franklin's is just get some friends together, probably a couple weeks in advance, order five pounds of barbecue. You just pull up to the back of the restaurant walk in, grab your barbecue, maybe takes 15 minutes and you leave. I'm not going to sit in the line for five or six hours. It's delicious. You absolutely should get it, but just do that. And it's so easy. There we go. Yeah. My first time at Franklin's, I think I waited like four hours. I got there like six or seven a.m. So it's a lot better now. A lot easier. Absolutely. Much easier. Jordan, how did you get your start in real estate investing? How did you start real estate investing? And, you know, we'll dive more into what today later. Awesome. So I got started the way a lot of people get started. And really the only way I was able to get started was by house hacking. Uh, I didn't have very much money. In fact, I didn't even have enough money to buy the house hack, pay for the closing costs, and do the the light amount of rehab that needed to be done. I got the seller to pay for the closing cost on my first house hack, just snuck in, actually had to cash out an IRA to get the down payment money for the down payment, and borrowed the money, like borrowed $3,000 to do some paint and carpet on my first house hack. And that's how I got in. So I really just snuck in, did not have any money at all. <clears throat> continued to house hack for you know, some more than six years after that and don't regret even a minute of it absolutely loved it it's so awesome to live for cheap or free and build a bunch of equity and properties that you put almost nothing down on and it feels like a lot before you get started but it feels like nothing when you start investing in real estate and you could put a three and a half percent down payment to buy a $500,000 property. It's great. Man, Jordan, where was that first house hack at? That was actually in Minneapolis. So I was living in Minneapolis at the time. Um, I was 
had just moved back from Austin actually and bought a house hack in Northeast Minneapolis. Awesome. And then do you still own that house hack today? No, I don't own my first two. I own the other ones I have, but I, I just sold the first two. That one, because of course I was leaving Minneapolis and it didn't really make sense to have one property there. And it was really old. It was built in 1900. And the second one was here in Austin. Awesome. And then after that, you continue to house hack. You know, that was your start in real estate investing. And for anybody listening to this for the first time, what is house hacking? What does that even mean? Great question. So house hacking to me is buying a property and renting out any space you're not using. So it could be a duplex and you rent out the other unit, could be a single family and you rent out rooms, could be a condo and you rent it out when you're not in it. There's so many possibilities and everything works. It's just you're using money from renting out that property to pay pieces of the mortgage so you don't have to pay it. Awesome. And then what if I'm worried about roommates and finding people to live with? Like, did you have any stories of your first round of roommates in that first house hack or second house hack or any horror stories? The only horror story was I didn't charge him enough. Um, <laughs> I had a, a good buddy move in with me on the first one. I rented out another bedroom on the first one as a, an Airbnb room. And I rented out the other unit to some amazing tenants who were in it as long as I owned it. They were just great. Um, but yeah, no, I think my my problem was I just didn't charge enough on the first one. I've not had bad tenants in a house hack ever because you're living there. They know that. You get to screen them. You get to really you get to meet the people that are moving in. It it's you're so involved. And generally the tenants know that too. And you just, I've not had a bad experience house hacking with tenants. Wow. And now that you've continued to house hack, what house hack number are you house are you on right now since that first one? So we are kind of in the live and flip realm now. I did four duplex house hacks or single family with ADU. And my girlfriend did one. So I've lived in five house hacks in six years. Five house hacks and six years. And then do you plan to continue moving every year? Like when, where does this go from here? At some point in time, we will stop. But the the live and flip is kind of the ideal strategy for the next couple. And we do plan to find something. If Once we stop, we plan to find something that has an ADU or we could build an ADU on and add some rental income that way. We're making income by doing the live-in flips now well enough that adding an ADU might not be the best option, but it's always a consideration. Yeah, and what I love about what you said there is that there's different ways to house hack. You threw in the ADU, the live-in flip. I think when a lot of people hear about house hacking for the first time, they think about a single family house with 10 people they don't know. It's going to be a fraternity house and it's going to be a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. But what we've seen, and especially with the team that you run here in Austin, is that there's so many different ways to house hack in Austin. So are you seeing a lot of clients find ways to successfully house hack still in today's market? 
Yeah. And absolutely, I love that you said that a lot of people think, oh, I, you know, I can't possibly do that. Or a lot of people think I can't go backwards and do that. Uh, I have a friend here in Austin that built a house around Zilker, close to Zilker. He built a brand new house with an ADU and they paid most of the mortgage from the ADU while they lived there. So anybody and everybody can do it. You just have to want to do it. Uh, how I'm seeing people find success right now. There's a couple ways and you and Connor kind of showed me a lot of these ways too, is rent by the room still works really well. But I mean, we could talk more about that. You know more about rent by the room than I do, but rent by the room works well, as long as you have the right amount of rooms. And of course, in the right area, medium term and short term rentals and duplexes tend to work pretty well too. Those can work in fourplexes. Fourplexes in Austin are, are harder to find good ones. Triplexes are almost impossible to find. So I see the duplex work the best for the medium term and the short term rental. And of course, you can combine strategies too. So you could do one side medium term rental. You could bring in two roommates in your side, like the you just got to get creative and think, how can I maximize the cash flow? But, you know, if you're bringing in 1600 bucks a month from your side, just from your roommates, and then you're renting out your other unit, 2,500 to 3000 a month, like you're, you're going to be in a good spot for any reasonable duplex you buy here in Austin. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I know you found a lot of success with duplexes, and that's where people typically start. A common question I come across with people trying to house hack is like, what is a good deal? Like, how do I define a good deal? How do you go about analyzing and figuring out if a house hack makes sense for you? And what are some things people should be thinking about? So I always look at it is it going to cash flow when I move out and that might be hey I'm going to run one unit as a medium term rental one unit as a long term rental medium term rental I don't look at it as risky I do estimate the rents to be uh, I take reasonable estimates at the rents I'm not saying hey I think I could get this or I think I could get that I'm looking at what's out there and what I could get high occupancy for so it has to cash flow when I move out and then I just back into it. I have to be able to live for cheap while I live in it. My goals were always to live for less than $1,000 a month. I did that pretty easily. And to be able to cash flow when I moved out. So I kept it really simple. I said, will it cash flow when I move out? And how cheap can I live in it when I'm in there? But I, I learned after... I don't know, touring 60, 70 properties for my first one and putting in tons of offers that you're never going to find perfect. You know, there is no perfect. No, not at all. And I think I love what you said. It's like, hey, for me, I was looking to stay under a thousand. But for mm -hmm. a lot of people, it's all relative. If you normally pay $4,000 a month and you go house hack for 2000, that could be a win for you. You know, if you have 10 people and you present a deal in front of all 10 people, half, five of them may work and the other may not. It's like you have to figure out what's best for you, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's some, 
maybe for everybody having positive cash flow when they move out isn't the biggest deal like if you if you're that person that pays four thousand dollars a month for rent right now and you can live in an area that you don't hate and you're only losing a hundred or two hundred dollars a month when you move out like know that rents will increase over time and eventually you'll be in a good spot but if you were paying four thousand dollars a month before if you could live for two thousand dollars for two years, that's $48,000 you saved. And I, I think that that gets overlooked so much as the money saved. Uh, a penny saved is worth far more than a penny earned because you get taxed on that penny earned. We're assuming the savings are after tax. So hopefully you're not paying your, your rent with before tax income and then owing a big tax bill at the end of the year. You're going to get taxed 30% on any money you make, even if you live in Texas. If you live somewhere else, you're in a much worse spot. But in Texas, let's assume you're getting taxed 30%. So you make 100 bucks, you really only made 70 bucks. But if you save 100 bucks, that can be used to invest and grow your wealth and do so much. So I really think the savings is something that's just so overlooked. People say, oh, I'm not going to cash flow this good. It's like, dude, you're, so you're living for 800 bucks a month. Yeah. Like, you were paying, like you said, I've talked to people, how much is your rent? Oh, three, $3,500. i am like, you're paying a huge amount of money in rent every year. It's not paying down a mortgage. You don't get tax benefits. You get nothing. You could live for $1,000 a month. Not only are you going to save $25,000 a year, but you're going to be able to invest that $25,000 a year and grow it over time. Look at compound interest and tell me how much that's going to be worth in 30 years. It's a lot. Yeah, really well said. And one more thing I wanted to touch on before we recap some of the house hacking strategies is how do I decide where to house hack? I'm thinking maybe Austin or Dallas or where do I get the best returns? Like, how do you think about that and help people approach like how, where should I pick to house hack? And uh, yeah, that's a great question. I get that question all the time. Like somebody will call me from another state and say, hey, where in Texas should I go? I'm like, well, unluckily for you, Texas is the size of Europe. So there's there's four metros, even on the east side of Texas, within a five to six hour drive of each other. But you're probably not going to like living in each of them. And I think the most important question is always, where do you want to live? I've never looked at house hacking as the only way to invest. I've just looked at house hacking as a no-brainer. Why would I not do it while I'm living somewhere? I've done extremely well house hacking in Austin over the years. But I've also done extremely well investing in other markets. But why would I not house hack in Austin? Because I want to live in Austin. I have to live somewhere while I'm living in Austin. Why not make it an asset and make a lot of money off of it? So just to recap, the answer is, where do you want to live? It's not, where's the best deal? I think that's a ridiculous way to look at it. Um, again, I've gotten that question more times than I could possibly count. But it, nothing matters if you don't want to be there and you don't want to do it over and over. Compound interest applies to house hacks too. If you house hack once, you're going to get amazing benefits. If you buy a $500,000 duplex, $500, duplex here in Austin, hold on to it for 30 years, chances are it might be worth a million dollars when you sell it in 30 years. So you do it one time, you put down 20,000 bucks and you just made a million dollars. But think about if you do that two or three or four or five times, you're 
it's going to blow your mind. You know, that's the difference between a million and 5 million when you retire. And that's if that's all you ever do. And I think most people that get started house hacking have plans to do more than that. Yeah, house hacking is a stepping stone. And we'll get into some of the other things you're doing now that all came back from that very first house hack. So we talked about duplexes and midterms. And what is a midterm for somebody that doesn't know? Medium term rentals, especially as the the state of Texas and the city of Austin define short term rentals as under 30 days, medium term rentals is 30 days plus. So anything a month plus, so many people travel for 30 days plus, they go somewhere else to work, they need temporary housing, moving house to house. There are so many reasons that people don't even think about. Everybody just thinks of traveling nurses. That's like 5% of the monthly rental or medium term rental clientele. Yeah. The travel nurses is such a big buzzword with it, but that's only a small percentage unless you really, really market towards them. So to recap, one of the first ways to house hack and make it still work here in Austin and ways you're making it work is a duplex with a midterm. There's also single family with ADU, which you had talked about. There are so many other creative ways. And the last one kind of main way that we're seeing people do it is through co-living and single family. Um, do you want to go into that or do you want me to kind of walk through some of the things that we're seeing on my side? Yeah, you're definitely the more knowledgeable in the co-living space. So I'd love to hear your insights. Yeah. So I'm really excited about the co-living model, especially here in Austin. And to level set for anybody that is hearing this for the very first time, it's either called rent by the room or co-living houses where you take a single family house and you create individual leases per room. They have a shared common space, and you're probably wondering why would anybody want to do this? Well, the average one-bed apartment here in Austin is somewhere around $1,500 a month. And for somebody just out of college or recently got into the workforce, that's a huge percentage of their income. And you know, there's safe, affordable housing that is offered for $800, $900 a room. That is a huge saving. So that's the value proposition of it. But the other part that people don't think about as often is that Austin is a huge transplant city where everybody's moving here from every everywhere you go and every meetup you go to. Nobody's from Texas anymore. Everybody's from Cali, New York, et cetera. And when people move to a brand new city, they need community. And if you can create a safe, good rent prices but also a community of other like-minded people it's just i'm super excited about its growth here we spent some people here in austin just that but yeah yeah that's some of the house hacking strategies that we've seen from midterm to co-living to single family adus there's so many different ways to do it just pick one and you know you'll figure it out absolutely and i think that you know, again, like I was talking about, there's so many ways to combine these strategies, you know, so you could do co-living in the unit you're in. Let's say you buy a duplex, you're going to do co-living in the unit you're in, or you buy a single family with an ADU. Maybe you do co-living in the house, but you do short-term rental on the ADU. There's there's just not a wrong way. I just like to look at it as how can I maximize the income, especially while I'm living in it. but 
what's going to work well for when I move out and be reasonable amount of management, nothing that totally just takes over my life. Absolutely. So let's say I'm listening to this now and I'm loving everything. I want a house hack. I'm convinced it's going to make sense for me. Where should I get started? What's the next best step for me right now, Jordan? I think the first step is to read the book House Hacking by Craig Kerlock if you have not yet. After that, you know, find an agent, find a lender. You can do both in conjunction and just start taking the steps. If you find a good agent, you know, like Devin, and you talk to a good lender, you're going to start getting some of the, the ball rolling on the things that take a lot of time or things that you, maybe you can't do yourself. After that, I really highly recommend people start analyzing deals and looking at them different ways. So like we talked about, you know, medium-term rental, short-term rental, co-living work the best right now. I talked to so many people say, hey, I, I ran the numbers. I'm just not finding anything that works. My first question is, well, what's your rental strategy? They said, well, I'm just uh, just rentals. So, okay, so like a 12-month lease? And they're like, yeah. But that's extremely hard to make work on a duplex in Austin with a $4,000 a month mortgage when each unit's only going to rent for $2,000. I mean, you got to look at it and say, okay, I could make $3,000 off this one unit with medium-term rentals. And maybe I could get a roommate or two in my unit. Well, that's forty six hundred, so I'm living for free there. When I move out, I could do three thousand. I could do two thousand. You know, I could make break even, or I could do. I know Connor has a duplex where he's doing both medium term rentals, and he's bringing in crazy cash flow doing that. You just got to look at things with with a better lens and i think that's really hard to do if you don't talk to people who are in the market today or you listen to a podcast like this you just say oh i listened to a bigger pockets podcast from 2014 like interest rates are double what they were in 2014 today prices have gone up 200% since 2014 i mean things are it's a different market it's all everything's always changing and you always have to be talking to people in town who are actually doing this. And believe it or not, there is always people that are making things work at that certain point in time. Yeah, there's always a way to make it work. And with somebody that, you know, is super excited and then you get discouraged about the market, you know, there's articles everywhere, wait, the market's going to crash. What are your thoughts on if now is a good time to buy? Should somebody wait or how should they think about the market with all this news up in the air? I think it's always a good time to buy if you buy with good long-term debt. Um, I think the people who are going to get in trouble right now are the people who bought two years ago with adjustable rate debt. And that's not a lot of people in residential. There's some people in commercial that did that that are probably in, in a bad spot. Um, but if you bought a house hack in 2022 in May, kind of when the prices were at their peak, but the numbers worked, who cares if prices are down right now? You're still living for cheaper than you were paying for rent. You're still going to cash flow when you move out. I think it's always a good time to house hack, again, provided that it meets your goals and helps you it meets your criteria when you're looking at deals. Obviously, don't just buy to buy. You don't want to just buy real estate because you want to own real estate. You want to buy real estate 
because it's going to meet your goals, let's say that's cash flow, it's in the area you enjoy being in, and it's going to save you money while you live in it. Not to mention, it is going to appreciate, you know, property does appreciate over time. You can't predict that short term, but I would be willing to bet everything I have that this house that I'm sitting in right now will be worth more than it is today, 10 years from now. But you don't want to bet on that. You just want to buy in areas that you enjoy because when you do that, chances are other people are going to enjoy it too. So you're not going to have to worry about it too much. Awesome. Really well said. I wanted to shift from house hacking to some really big news that we've heard recently. So there's been some short-term rental changes in the city of Austin. What do you know about that, Jordan? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join GoBundance.com slash Emerge, GoBundance.com slash Emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. It, to me, it sounds too simple, but what I know is before the short-term rental changes that happened a few weeks ago, it was almost impossible to get a short-term rental license if you did not live in the property. If you were a non-owner occupant, so if you didn't live in the property, they just were not handing them out. There was no way to get around that. It couldn't happen. Now, everybody can get a short-term rental license. You just need to apply. I believe you need to have uh, current insurance and a valid driver's license so they can verify you are who you are. But then they're, they're giving them out. And I've heard it's even as little as a few weeks where, again, in the before times, they were taking months and months. I heard as long as nine months for one person. Uh, I, I had one that took about six months to get processed. But all that said, I don't see that this will last forever. There's just almost no way the city of Austin lost their ability to limit short-term rental licenses and doesn't come out with some sort of other regulation that will limit them in some way or another. I've been told they're already working on this and you would expect that to happen. So if you have any interest at all in getting a short-term rental license for a property that you currently own, or you want to buy a property and get a short-term rental license, I would recommend doing it as quickly as possible because I think this window will close. And when it does close, I believe that the people who have them, like what happened last time, will be grandfathered in. But they're going to either, however they set up to regulate it, they will have a way to not issue licenses to some people. Yeah. And with short-term rentals, there's so much investment that goes into it. It is one of the harder strategies, but also the most profitable. So it comes with the reason all the furnishing that comes involved and the management. And you don't want to go into a property, spend all this money, and then not be able to run it as a short-term rental. So we may be facing this window of opportunity for who who knows how long. So you know, if anybody has the opportunity, they should at least try to get a short-term rentals license is what you're saying. Yeah. And you know, it's it's hard to speak with certainties, but what I'm hearing are that anybody that applies that has a you know, valid driver's license and insurance is able to get them right now. In fact, 
I had applied for one and I messed up and I had the property in my name. I refinanced it into the name of an LLC and they denied me because of that. They reached back out. They reached out to me two weeks ago and said, hey, do you still want your license? I don't anymore because I'm not running as a short-term rental. I'm running it as a medium-term rental and I don't need to pay tax on it. I don't need a license for that. But there, it seems like the floodgates are open. I just don't know for how long. Interesting. So this is huge news. I know a lot of people have been looking around Austin and ETJ zones and trying to get around this, mm -hmm. or a lot of people getting fined and running illegal Airbnbs, which is something you don't want to do. So this is a really exciting opportunity in Austin that we're all excited about. But Jordan, I think a lot of people really want to know what you're up to now. We've talked about the house hacks that have got you here. You're building a real estate team. Um, what are you currently doing in your real estate investing career right now? Yeah, so I had a uh, a really hard time stopping house hacking. Um, and that, that sounds, I'm sure that sounds funny to some people, but I got so used to living completely for free. And the thought of having to use some sort of income to pay a mortgage was really hard for me to get over. So again, we are living in live-in flips now. The passive income from my last two house hacks actually pays the mortgage so I'm still not technically paying it with earned income, but it's income nonetheless. So it's, it still matters. Um, so I took my first house hack. While I was in my first house hack, I bought six units. And I took the money from selling that first house hack to buy 12 more units. I took that money. Uh, I sold those buildings a few years ago. So the 18 units that I had gotten from the first house hack. And I reinvested a lot of that. That's another conversation. And I think my advice would just be stick to what you know and stick to what you can control. But I took the money from my, selling my second house hack and bought seven houses with the business partner. That was probably the best investment I ever made. Not because that specific investment has been amazing and it has been amazing. But beyond that, getting into the partnership with this business partner, understanding business partnerships has just skyrocketed my portfolio in a very short period of time. And not only has it, it grown my portfolio a lot, it's done so in a way that we both do what we're good at. And I think we both enjoy what we do. So it feels like it's not any work. I enjoy finding deals. That's kind of what I do in the partnership. He makes sure that stuff happens like it's supposed to. And he's good at that. It's his personality. So that works really, really well. Um, <clears throat> so what I'm doing now, so I, I started buying small multifamilies. I continued to buy small multifamilies. I learned that the small commercial multifamily is not where I want to be. There's not efficient management, especially in, this was class C small commercial multifamily. So these were all six unit buildings, not great management, not uh, an easy tenant base. They tend to do a lot of damage to the units. They didn't pay rent on time. A lot of times they paid rent late, blah, blah, blah. Maybe if those were B class or A class units, 
it would have been a different story. I'm not sure, but that the the price that I was looking at, I could only afford C class units. So I'm not interested at all in getting into small commercial multifamily anymore. I'm interested in doing what we've done for the last almost three years now, and that's Burr single family. So we buy, I would say C plus single family properties, and we we use the Burr strategy. So we borrow somebody else's money for the down payment and the rehab. We fix it up, then we refinance it. We don't always, we, we very rare, believe it or not, we very rarely get money out. So we're not burying these houses and getting a $5,000 check at the end. I think we got a $500 check on our last two refinances and it was like amazing. But we put very little money into these houses to buy them. So we might put a couple grand in at the refinance time. But if I buy a house and I get to get a rent, like I was saying earlier, get a rental property for three to 5% down, I consider that a win big time. And I'm going to keep doing that. They don't cash flow great. That's another kind of myth of the Burr strategy. Because if you're refinancing all of your money out at current market values, let's say you're getting 75 or 80% of current market value, probably going to have a little bit of trouble getting a lot of cash flow. So these houses probably cash flow, I don't know, 50 to 100 bucks a house, but probably more than that on some of them. We, we've been able to buy a lot of them and we're building pretty significant equity doing that. So I'm going to keep doing that. We've also started looking for mobile home parks. Um, and I only arrived at mobile home parks because it interests me. I, I can make the numbers work on the stuff I'm looking at. And it's exciting. And I think that's so hard in real estate investing. Every, there's so many shiny objects. There's short-term rentals. There's multifamily. There's multifamily syndications. There's 30 to 50 unit multifamily syndications. There's 100 plus unit. There's blah, blah, blah. So many different strategies. Duplexes. I know people in town here in Austin that have so many duplexes that are incredibly successful with them. I know people that do lots of 100 plus unit multi-unit syndications. I know people that crush it in industrial real estate, that crush it with hotels, whatever it is. There's somebody that's successful at it and just knocking it out of the park. I learned after chasing a bunch of different strategies that I just needed to pick one. And single family houses, they're already working for us in the market we buy in in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm going to continue doing that. And we buy in a very tight area. We buy in three zip codes, primarily one zip code and one neighborhood. So we're not having to go out and look for much. We just, we're looking where we already are. We're going to keep doing that. We've got a good rehab crew, good property manager. And then we're looking for mobile home parks in the 30 to 60, 80 lot range that are in metro areas bigger than 20,000 people. And I know that sounds small, but you'd be surprised how small these towns get. So we're just going to keep sticking on that. We've got some good opportunities we're looking at, and it looks like we'll get at least one this year. And that was just kind of the goal. And then just to continue to build the single family as we can. Awesome. I know you've been chipping away at the mobile home park and it's really cool to see that front move forward. And I think what I really like what you said is focus 
and just picking something because yeah. I did the same thing. I got into co-living properties and then I did a short-term rental, then another short-term and then I did a mid-term and I might go back to co-living. I think that's the Achilles heels for a lot of investors that first get started because they see all these things on social media, YouTube, and Jordan, you're in GoBundance. And I think it was you that told me that you know the difference between what is it? There's GoBundance champions. There's different tiers within GoBundance. And at the highest level, they stay and do one thing really freaking well. Whereas the brand new investor is doing 10 different things because it looks good on their resume, right? And what I think a lot of people see outside from looking in, seeing Jordan, like you're you're doing so many different things with the properties in Louisville. Like how many have y'all scaled up to now there? We currently have 35. We've sold a few, um, but yeah, we're currently 35. Yeah. And that's amazing. And again, all from the first house hack, but Jordan mastered house hacking first. Mm. And then he got a partnership and leverage and then did long-term. And then with the same partner, I believe now going to mobile home, like there was a singular point in focus. And I think there's all opportunities for us to focus more, but I love that you said that just focus on one thing, get really good at one thing and not do five things at one time. Yeah, it's really, and I mean, it's not just school abundance people. Like I pay attention to people who are very successful and they they get really 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 good at one thing and that's not exciting for a lot of people it's it sounds good they see the results and say i want to do that but then they start to do it and they realize that it's a lot of work and it might take some time i think one of the my favorite quotes is people underestimate what they can do in 10 years and overestimate what they can do in a year and it, that can be even shortened quite a bit, where if you don't see success right away, you quit. Um, talking in the mobile home park, I don't have one that we own yet, but I've been making offers for nine months. I only recently started to get positive feedback on the offers we made. We only got in conversations and it, it took nine months before we started getting anything to happen there. The difference that I see in people that are successful and people that are not is discipline and focus. You know, Gary Keller has the book, The One Thing. People focus on one thing and they get really disciplined and just taking those actions needed to meet that goal. So whether it's, you know, making your phone calls every day or making offers on a property every day, you're sure not gonna get a property under contract if you're not making offers. And if you make two or three offers and get discouraged and just give up, I can guarantee you, you're not going to get a property under contract and you're not going to be a real estate investor. You're, you're not a real estate investor until you own real estate. Um, that doesn't bother me or anything that people say I'm a real estate investor when they don't, but it, it's the truth. You're not. But real estate investors know that the leading measure of getting properties is making offers and you got to make a lot of offers. You have to underwrite a lot of properties to get to the point of making any sort of offers. So it's just a numbers game. And I think if you really figured out that for every 20 offers, I get a great deal, you probably make a lot more offers and you'd underwrite a lot more properties to find that out. Jordan Moorhead here really quick. He wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us. If you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions, the Moorhead team on YouTube is the best place to be. And then Austin Real Estate Investors on Meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on. Well said. I think a lot of people don't realize that to be successful in real estate or any career, it first starts with 
your discipline, and then your physical health. And it's been really cool to get have a backseat um, to see how disciplined you are and what you're able to do. Jordan's always in the office. I'm at the gym, same time, always does what he needs to do, always making offers. I think what every day you make like a random call every single day to somebody. Yeah. So obviously I have a a day job as a realtor and that's the most important thing to me and takes up the most time. But every day I I call some sort of broker or I call some sort of wholesaler or property owner. I'm, I'm making, I'm taking the action every day and it's really simple. It's just on the way to work. I'm going to call somebody, whether you own a house that I'm interested in or a mobile home park or that you're a wholesaler that sells houses that I might be interested in. I'm not going to get those deals to look at if I don't call those people, but I can call one person every day, no problem. Or I can make an offer a week, no problem. Absolutely. How do you become more disciplined? Like, have you always been like this? Any advice for somebody? It's like, I want to show up more for myself or, you know, I don't know how to establish a routine, like any recommendations for somebody to become more disciplined in their life so they can go and invest or have more financial freedom and tap into these other areas of their life? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I absolutely was not, I didn't have any, any sort of level of discipline and I still think that I can get better, a lot better. I think you just got to start small. Um, let's say you're looking to go to the gym. You're probably not going to start going to the gym five days a week. Maybe you go to the gym once that first week and check in at the gym. You just go swipe the cart and check in. And maybe you go the next week and you go sit in the sauna. You know, it just small wins and get that. We need wins. We need to be able to have success. And you're just going to build on success from there. Where I see so many people fail is they go big and hard fast and it doesn't work out or it starts to burn them out and they quit, you know, and that's not just health, but that's, that's everything, you know, you you need to have habits, small habits that get you to your goals every day. And it needs to be something that can be sustained over a long period of time. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. I think for anybody that knows Jordan, one thing that he's developed over the year is a massive network. Everywhere I go, real estate related, everyone knows Jordan or suddenly he's at a conference with David Green or knows this person. And I think that was it because he just made those one bigger pockets post, that one call. It wasn't for one week he called people for 12 hours a day. It was just once a day, maybe twice a day or three times a day. And I think at some point you built so much evidence of like, this is the identity of the person you want to become that now you have to live up to this identity and it becomes easy at some point. But that first part is just really difficult. So I wanted to dive more into mindset a little bit. Um, is there a favorite business or mindset book that you have? Obviously, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is amazing. Um, The one thing was really good. But there's so many really great books. I, I would say if you haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant, that those should those should be the first. And then there's just an enormous list of books. Think and Grow Rich is amazing. I reread that every year. 
uh, anything by Ray Dalio is amazing. I read, I'm reading in the gym. I've listened to eBooks in the gym in the morning. I'm listening to Ray Dalio's book on debt cycles in the gym in the morning. I've really enjoyed that. I just try to always be learning, but I learned over the last year or so that I don't need to relearn everything over and over and over. I try to be more specific with what I'm learning. I don't need to just listen to or read everything that comes out. I need to listen to or read things that that help me grow or focus on subjects that I'm interested in. But yeah. Awesome. I know you mentioned the gym there. How important is fitness in your life? And do you see that as a common theme across successful people you're around? Yeah, it's extremely important to me. And I think that it can be most successful people, not all, most successful people I know are very in tune with keeping healthy. There are the exceptions and people see the exceptions, but I think nowadays, if you pay attention, most really successful people pay a lot of attention to their health and wellness. You know, you're going to find the person who's fat and overweight and, you know, doesn't take any care of themselves or their mental health. but you'll find a hundred more that take very good care of their mental health and their physical wellness. Absolutely. I think a lot of people come to us and start talking about real estate. I want to go and invest and it seems so far away. And sometimes I give, you know, my honest feedback. It's like, you got to start with your feedback. How much are you sleeping? And it seems completely unrelated. Like, why are you talking to me about this? But if you show up for yourself, you keep the promises you make, then you're going to show up and analyze that deal every day. Then you're going to go and network and be on time for this because it's all a domino in your life. It's not, I'll take care of my fitness later once I become rich and successful. It's like you have to take care of your fitness and your health to become successful is how I see it. Yeah, and you can take care of all areas of your life all the time. I think that that gets overlooked so often, but some of the most successful people I know don't work 80 to 100 hours a week. You know, maybe they work 50, 60 hours a week, but they make sure they're there for their family and they take care of their health and they take care of having adventure and travel in their life. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I I think people are starting to wake up to that, but then they're starting to go too far the other way of, oh, I'm just never going to work. And it's like, hey, you got you to do a little bit of work sometimes. <laughs> just a little bit here and there. But as we wrap up here, were there any questions or topics that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to address yet? I think the biggest thing I see people underestimate is how much sticking with real estate or sticking with investing in general will do for you over a very long period of time. If you do it a couple times in a couple of years, yeah, you'll have some success. But if you do it every year, let's say you bought a house every year for 30 years. If you did that in Austin, it'd be $30 million in 30 years. Let's say you did that until you were 60. And by the time you pass away, you left your family $30 million. Like people, yeah, you you overestimate what you can do in, in a year and underestimate what you can do in 10. But we just didn't. It's, it's so easy to be so short-sighted with things and not say, Hey, what's this going to do for me in five or 10 or 15 years? And paying attention to people like Warren Buffett, who didn't accumulate most of his wealth until after he was 65, 
people hear that, he's been doing the same thing over and over and over, discipline and focus for 80 years. And he's one of the richest people in the world now and lives the life he wants to. Maybe that's not important to you. Do what you need to do and make sure you take care of your investing, your physical health, your mental health, your family, everything, and do it every day. And you'll be really happy 10 years from now. So good. Underestimate. Most people underestimate what they do in one year. I was just reflecting. And one year ago, I was in my W-2 job. It hasn't even been a year since I left my W-2. And at that time, I was working part-time with Jordan, half in with Jordan, half in with corporate. And, you know, because I started house hacking, because I limited my expenses and because, you know, I got a chance to work with Jordan full-time, you know, I, I can't believe it's been a year. Not even a year since I left the job because so much has happened, you know, scaling up more property, just being around Jordan and the team and other people that are trying to all go in the same place. And we talk about our goals and we put it out on the table and we share our visions. I think that's been a big, another big piece that we didn't get a chance to dive into is like your environment as well. So Mm -hmm. just wanted to say thank you for letting me step into your shoes today. And I'm sure people really enjoy getting to hear more of your story, Jordan. Absolutely. Thanks for doing it, Devin. For sure. Talk to you soon. See you, man.